Before we gather around the word, we think of the, those who are ill this morning, those who are coming down with this COVID-19 around the world, in our nation, in our families, those who are coming down with it in our, in, uh, the, our homes. And we think of the, the medical profession, the GPs, the paramedics. We think of the, the doctors, the nurses, the specialists. We think of the departments of the hospitals and all of them, all of those people who are trying their best and, and working to keep us safe and to help those who have come down with us this morning and to monitor them and to nurse them. Uh, and we salute you this morning and we tell you we're grateful for you. We're grateful that you are putting yourselves uh, even in danger and on the line this morning for our sake. We just pray for you that the Lord would cover you and the Lord would keep his hand upon you, and that the Lord would richly bless you. Will you turn this morning to Matthew's Gospel? Matthew's Gospel, please, chapter 8, as a basis of our reading, and what the Lord has laid on our hearts for you this morning. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, please, and we're just going to read to the first four verses. Verse 1, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thy clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Let's just bow another word of prayer. Father, we pray that you would cover our National Health Service staff and all who work in the hospitals, that you would keep them safe from this coronavirus. Father, we're thinking of those who have come down with it, that you would, Lord, help them and touch them and bless them and heal them. But we also, Father, think of those who have other illnesses and other diseases and other sicknesses that are not from that. Lord, that you would keep your hand upon it. We think even especially at this time of the Clark and the Cummins family, Lord, who have lost their loved one this week, that you'd bless them and encourage them. Lord, that you'd minister unto them. And Lord, that they may know your comfort. They may know your hand upon their life. Now, Father, take your word, we pray. And wherever your people are and whoever is listening, we pray, Lord, that this would be a blessing or maybe even a challenge. But, Lord, may it be a devotion to the heart about the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorify your name for his name's sake we ask it. Amen. Self-isolation and social distancing is uh, everywhere at the moment. We're told to self-isolate. We're told to stay at home. We're told to stay with our families and at the very start especially and even now we're told that if uh, you're feeling symptoms of this COVID-19 or it may be a cold, or, but if you're feeling symptoms, uh, you're to self-isolate it was for seven days. And then uh, we're told then that we were to social distance ourselves one from another. We are to be about six feet apart when we're 
in, in areas like this or six feet apart whenever we're outside and we're speaking to someone else or maybe someone brings a delivery to the door or whatever, we have to be six feet apart or we have to stay at home and self-isolate away from uh, everyone else. Well, you know, self-isolation and social distancing to us is a new thing. And it's a new thing because in our lifetime, in my lifetime, we've never had to think about these things or worry about these things. And the most we had to think of was if someone had a cold and they were to uh, sneeze or cough, then we would sort of maybe distance ourselves a little because of that. But we never really thought much about it. But self-isolation and social distancing was in the scriptures. Self-isolation, for example, we have in our reading here, we have a leper. And this leper is down at the foot of the mountain. And the Lord Jesus is coming down the mountain. Did you know that Israel, in their very laws, they had uh, the law of very self-isolation as well? Did you know that in, in, in the very Old Testament that it said that a leper was to keep a less than six feet or about two meters, that is, six feet away to social distance from someone. Or if the wind was blowing past them down toward other people, it was 150 feet approximately to keep away from people. But the social distancing was six feet away. That's what we're told even today about the social distancing. And the Bible tells us these things. And then we're also told and the, of, of our self-isolation, they were put away. The, the lepers had to go away. And in fact, uh, through the Levitical law, when they came, they had to come to the priest. And the priest checked them to see how fit they were, how ill they were, or whether that which they had, if it was uh, leprosy or if it was not leprosy. And if they were starting a, a healing process, when the priest looked at it, they had to stay away for about seven days so it's strange how today we were told stay at home for seven days to see this is especially at the start of this in our country stay at home for seven days yet in the bible uh, the the leper had to stay at home or stay away for seven days and we're also told that they had to stay six feet apart I hope to be uh, talking about those things, maybe not this week or if I have to do two weeks, maybe in the week, uh, that would be the, the week following. But let's just look at Leviticus chapter 13 for a moment. And I want us to see just an idea of what it was like for this leper and how wonderful a thing it was for the Lord Jesus to come down from that mountain and to touch this leper. Leviticus chapter 13, please. Leviticus, Leviticus 13 and verse 43. Then the priest shall look upon it. That's why the Lord Jesus, when he touched the leper uh, and healed him, says to go and show it to the priest. He was fulfilling what the law was. Then the priest shall look upon it, and behold, if the rising of the sore be white, reddish, in his bald head or in his bald forehead, and the leprosy appeareth in the skin of the flesh, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him utterly unclean. His plague is in his head. 
And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his bare head, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, Unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. There's his self-isolation. He shall dwell alone without the camp. This shall be his habitation. Notice here, he shall dwell alone outside the camp. Outside of the camp of Israel, that was. Uh, Outside then later Jerusalem's walls or outside the very town that they were living in in later years. But here the priest says you're to go outside and you're to self-isolate. We trust and hope to look at more of this in the, in, in either later today or next week, depending on how we get on with this. And then, of course, we're told about seven days. If you look at chapter 14 of the book of Leviticus, chapter 14, and this is the cleansing of a leper. The check the leper was cleansed and that he was clean. And they were to go to the priest, and it says in verse 7, And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall, be, and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and wash himself in water, and he that he may be clean, and after that he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tents seven days. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows and all his hair he shall shave off, and he shall wash his clothes. Also he shall wash his flesh in in water, and he shall be clean. Then he's to come on the eighth day, with an offering. So we see here seven days. He came to the priest. The priest is making an offering to sprinkle him with blood. And he's saying, now you're clean. But to make sure, go away for seven days. And then come back after seven days. So social distancing and self-isolation. The leper was to cry unclean, unclean. And that was him social distancing. It was for approximately six feet But now I want to look at our reading in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Notice when he was come down from the mountain. That's a blessing. Now you think of who's beneath this mountain or who is at the bottom or the foot of this mountain. What a blessing. When he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, was come down from the mountain. What a fantastic line of scripture. Isn't it so easy that you and I would just uh, glide over this and have it at a glance and it's just another line in scripture. But there's so much in this one line we want to look at it this morning. It's a point that, uh, that's easily uh, just thrown to the side as we're looking to get down the mountain quickly to see the healing of the leper. But when he was come down from the mountain, it's a wonderful portion of scripture. It's a word in season to us. And it's a picture of grace for us. It's a word in season to us. And it's a picture of grace for us. Notice the Lord Jesus Christ is coming down from the mountain. And he's followed by a great multitude. In other words, they're 
beside him, they're around him, they're behind him. He's walking, and where he walks, they're walking. And there's no better way to walk than after the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no better one to follow than the Lord Jesus Christ. But the idea here is, in the midst of this great multitude. Now, it's not just a multitude, it's a great multitude. And in the midst of this great multitude, the Holy Spirit puts it in the mind, as it were, or the pen, as it were, of Matthew. When he was come down from the mount, it focuses, it centers upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the mountain full of people with a great multitude, and in the midst of them is Christ himself. In the midst of them is the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. You know, wherever Christ is put at the center, then it's the Holy Spirit who's revealing him. People miss the Lord Jesus Christ in in society. They miss the Lord Jesus Christ in life. They miss the Lord Jesus Christ. Even whenever we start to talk about him, they cannot see him for everything else, for they're dead unto him. But when the Holy Ghost shows you Christ, you cannot do anything else but see him. See him. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Let me look at the centrality of Christ and how the Holy Ghost, he places our eyes and fixes ourselves upon the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, in the previous chapter of Matthew chapter 7, and in the very last verse before we go into chapter 8 verse 1, it says, For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, again we're seeing he taught them in the midst of all the scribes and the teachers, in the midst of all the people, in the midst of the rabbis. Here again, Jesus stands out. He's head and shoulders, as it were, above all others and above all else in everything. And he's the chiefest among 10,000. The idea is he's the chiefest among any and every 10,000. He's the chiefest among 10,000. That is among 10,000 priests. He's the chiefest bringing other 10,000 priests. He's the chiefest bringing other 10,000 priests. He's the chiefest. And again and again and over and over. Shepherds and shepherds again and again and so on and so on. In other words, there's no one like the Lord and there's none beside him. There's none equal to him. There's no close second to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in in Matthew 7 and verse 29, it says, For he taught them. I love it because here are these men are scribes and Pharisees, rabbis and learned teachers of men. and, And here he's teaching them. He taught them. He stands out. He's in the midst of these people. And he stands out. Notice, out of all the teachers, he's the greatest The thing is, he didn't get his words from another rabbi. He didn't get his words from another teacher. What they used to do was they used to copy and translate what other rabbis said. And then they would have told the people that. And then they would have added to that again. And so what was originally thought of and what was originally said, what they would have done is they would have taken it and then they would have added to it, which watered it down. But the Lord Jesus Christ did never did not do that. He didn't take it from a textbook and neither did he even get it from a a Bible commentary. But rather the Lord Jesus Christ took 
what he taught from the scriptures. That is, he took it from the Old Testament scriptures. That was the scriptures at the time because the gospels were not, at this time, were not written. In fact, the gospels were in the process of happening because Jesus had come. Notice here it says, For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He taught them from Scripture and he got revelation straight from his Father. Let's remind ourselves that Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God that is God. Who is God? But he took the Word, the, the revelation straight from his Father. In John chapter 8 and in verse 28. Listen to what it says. Then Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father hath taught me. But as the Father hath taught me, I speak these things. So as the Father hath taught me, I speak these things. The point is, he is the teacher above all teachers, and Jesus is centralized in all of Scripture. That the Lord Jesus Christ is centralized in Scripture. He's in every chapter of Scripture of, of our Bible. He's from Genesis to Revelation. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the in-between. And he's the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. And in the Scripture, Christ is the whole way through it. And since he's the whole way through it, then we cannot help but see him as the Spirit leads us to him. Notice this. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Here he's among the teachers. And then he comes down the mount amongst a great multitude. A great multitude. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking in John 7. And the, the officers were sent to arrest him to bring him to the temple. They came back open, uh, 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 without anything in their hands. No Jesus with them. He wasn't arrested. Empty handed they came back. And when they were asked why they had not arrested him, the officer said in John 7 and verse 46, Never man spake like this man. Never man spake like this man. And the wonderful thing about this is the prophets would have pointed to Jesus. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Down through the years, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. They pointed toward Christ. Now he who was spoken of and who was pointed to had come. And now he says, I am come. I am come that they may have life. They may have it more abundantly. I am come to do the will of my father. I am, he says. And notice, no, never man spake like this man. Christ is centralized in all the scripture because he is the word of God which was with God and is God. And here we find that he's centralized in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It says uh, the revelation of St. John the Divine, and uh, really it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And verse 1 tells us that, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Centralized, the revelation is of him. He is the revelation, and the spirit of revelation is the testimony of Jesus Christ. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
The book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 13 says that Jesus is in the midst of the seven, one like unto the Son of Man. So here he is seen by John in Revelation 1 and 13. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6, John writes again, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. This lamb was standing. This lamb was alive. This lamb bare the marks of, of, the, of its death. This lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. Nail prints in his hands and in his feet and a riven side. And where the crown of thorns had pierced his head. Lacerations on his back. And here we find that John sees a lamb. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, death, his burial, and his resurrection again. He's in the midst of the throne. He's in the midst of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders. And in the midst of the beasts and the elders and the throat and all of it, he doesn't focus on the elders and he doesn't focus in on the beasts. He focuses in on the lamb. Friend, can I ask you this morning, when's the last time? You've pushed past everyone and everything in your own mind, in your thought. Even with all this that's going on in our world today, in our nation today, in society today. With all of this that is going on, can I ask you, when was the last time you tried to work your way through it all just to behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world? To behold the risen Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is Christ central to your life Or is everything else crowding it? Is Christ central to your home? Or is everything else coming around you? Are you surrounded by so much in the media and social media and all the attention that's happening and all the the news and everything that's happening in our world today? It has a blanked and blinded your, your mind and your eyes where Christ should be centralized, especially in our homes, especially in our lives, especially in our families, and especially in our marriages, and especially where we are in every moment. Ask the Lord to help you to focus again to see the Lamb of God. And again in Revelation 7 and verse 17, he's the Lamb in the midst of the throne. He's the Lamb in the midst of the throne. I love Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphims, each one having six wings. And with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain or with two he did fly. And one cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Here in the midst of this, There's a description of these angelic beings, these seraphims, these burning, flickering ones, ready to do his service and ready to do his will. Here in the midst of this, in the middle of it, he says, but I saw the Lord first. They were beside him. He's in the midst of it. He's in the midst of them. Christ in the midst. In Matthew chapter 27, and in verse 38, When our Lord was crucified, what a change, what a difference from him to come off, as it were, that throne, for him to step into this earth, for him to go to a cross, instead of being between two seraphims, instead of being between two seraphims with 
his glory being pronounced and proclaimed throughout all of the, uh, the halls of heaven. We find him on a cross between two thieves. Matthew 27, 38. And there were two thieves crucified with him, the one on the right hand and the other on the left. Here he takes our sin, our punishment, and he bears it alone on Calvary's cross. The point I'm making here is when Jesus is central to all things, when Jesus is central to our faith, when Jesus is central in our lives and our homes and our families, when Jesus is central in our doctrine, and when Jesus is central in our hearts, when Jesus is central in our vision, we keep our eyes looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When Jesus is central, great things happen. That's the point I'm trying to make because when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Never mind the multitudes, there he is. Never mind the, the people, there he is. Never mind the great throng, there he is. Never mind the hosts of heaven, there he is. Never mind the elders and the beasts, there he is. Never mind whoever, whatever, there he is. Never mind the seraphim, there he is. Never mind the thieves on the cross in the middle, there he is. Great things happen because when he was centralized on the cross, we find there that our redemption was being paid. The ransom had been found. Our reconciliation to the Father was being had and made. And there our sins were being washed away in his precious blood. When Christ is in the midst, when Christ is central, things happen. In Zephaniah chapter 3 and in verse 15, he says, And the Lord is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil anymore. The Lord in the midst of thee. In, in, in our midst, in our presence, or really we're in his presence, but when he's in the presence, he says, of his people. Zephaniah 3 and verse 17 says, And the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I haven't time to go through all of this, but the Lord, thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He came into the midst of us to save us. It's a mighty salvation. It's a, a mighty work on the cross. It's a, 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 a mighty sacrifice. And the blood has mighty power. Notice here, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee. And then he goes on to say, he will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Imagine the song. Imagine the voice. Imagine the sound of Yahweh's singing. We hear of the angels singing. We hear of choirs and heavenly hosts singing. We hear of God's people singing. We hear of them singing in the, the ancient temple. We hear of all of these singings. We hear of the call to come to sing and, and to worship before the Lord. But what is it like for Yahweh? What is it like for him to sing over his people? I wonder what his voice is like. Is it like many waters as John heard in Revelation chapter 1? 
Sound of a great trumpet, maybe he heard as well. Is it it like that? He tries to describe the voice of Yahweh. He tries to describe the voice of God. And imagine the song and the sound of it. You know something? He didn't sing when he created the universe. He didn't sing when he made all things with splendor and its glory. How magnificent it all is that we're only trying to find out. He didn't sing when he put the sun, the moon, the planets and the, the, the planetary systems in their place and hangs them on nothing and has them spinning in their orbit. He did not sing when he'd done all of these things. He didn't sing when he created on the earth and called all things forth. He didn't sing when he spoke the word and it came to, into being. He didn't sing, it says in Genesis 1 and in verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. That's what it tells us. He saw it and it was very good. Doesn't say that he sang. Yet Zephaniah 3 and 17 says, He will joy over thee with singing. With singing. One day we're going to find out what that voice is like. One day we're going to find out what the, the singing of, of Yahweh is like. What his voice sounds like. And to some who aren't saved, they're going to hear this as he stands and pronounces a judgment as he speaks over them. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, that man. But there's times when we're going to hear the singing of God. It reminds me of Luke 15 and verse 10. As the, and Luke 15 is the parable of lost things. Parable of lost things. You have the lost sheep, the lost silver, and the lost son. The lost sheep, the lost silver, and the lost son. And we're told the shepherd goes out looking that sheep, and he finds it, comes home with joy. The woman loses the silver and brushes out and searches with a lamp, and we're told when she finds it, there's joy. And again, the, the father's son is known as the prodigal son. And when he goes away and the son comes back, there is joy. But in Luke 15 and 10, on the parable of the lost silver or the lost coin, as people know it as, notice what, it, what the Lord Jesus says here. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Notice here the joy before or in the presence of the angels. The angels, as one old preacher says, the angels only catch the flying joy. It's, the angels are rejoicing, but they are rejoicing because they're sharing the joy of God. They're sharing the joy of our Father. They're sharing the joy of Yahweh, the great I am. The angels only get the privilege of the joy to participate in the joy. And that's enough to cause them to joy. The joy is of our God who is in the midst. Our God in whose presence they are. God in the midst of them is rejoicing over one sinner that repents. 
What am I saying? Great things happen. Great things happen when Christ is in the midst. And great things happen. There's power. Power when he is in the midst. He educated like no other. He didn't read. He took it from, from rabbis, but he took his word from the scripture and revelation from his father. He opened blinded eyes to see. He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He opened the seal, the scroll in Revelation chapter 5. He did it. He was in the midst. He receives worship and feeds the redeemed in Revelation 7 and verse 17. He reveals his deity, his authority and his power in Isaiah 6 as we've looked at. And he redeems when he's in the midst. He redeems his people. He sheds his blood for us and he pays their debt at the, on the cross. So when Christ is in the center, when Christ is in the midst, when Christ is there, there's power and great things happen. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Great multitudes followed him. Something great was about to happen. And I've built this story up to show you because of starting where this leper was, self-isolation, probably for life. Social outcast, even for life. He was a, a man who had social distancing to shout unclean, unclean, uh, whenever he was going by the people standing at least six feet away from them. This is not new, what's happening to us. Bring Christ into the midst of this in your home. Bring Christ into the midst of it in your family. Let this time of isolation be a time where you restore your soul in the presence of the King. Where you build your family altar. Let it be the time when you search the Scriptures and you learn more of Him. Let this be a time when you search this and you find the Lord Jesus Christ in all his splendor. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And in our, in our chapter here, what, what was about to happen as we read was that not only the leper was about to be healed, but other things. For example, in verse 3, we have his will. His will was to touch and to heal the leper. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thy clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I will, he says, be thy clean. Secondly, as his word is in verse 8. We didn't read it, but it's in the same chapter. The centurion came looking Jesus to heal his servant. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Here's his word. The power of the word. The trustworthiness of the word of God. Of course, Jesus speaks the word and his servant is healed. And we have his warning to those who are not his in verse 12. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out in, into outer darkness. And there shall be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's speaking here to the Jews who were rejecting him. And he's saying, here's a warning for you. 
You say you're children of the kingdom. You'll be cast out into outer darkness without me. You can claim to be a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You may say that, but if you're not mine, then you're not theirs, and you're not, you're not my father's. You'll be cast out into outer darkness. And then we have his warmth in verse 15, when he heals Peter's mother-in-law. It says, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto him. Notice, we see him in the healing, in the, the fever of, the mother, of Peter's mother-in-law, and yet the, the warmth of the touch of Christ overcomes the fever. The touch of Christ can touch you where you are. Maybe you're feeling this high temperature or this fever, as it were. Maybe you're feeling all of these things and you're saying, I need God to speak to me. His word is still alive. His word is still in this book and his word is still here for you. Maybe you just need the touch of the master's hand. Then we have, and uh, fifthly, we have his way in verse 20. Jesus said unto him, The foxes of hoes, the birds of nests, and the son of man hath not wor- to wear his, lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Here's his way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is saying here, there's only one way, and I am the way. And we keep putting him off. We keep putting, putting Jesus off. We put Jesus off to watch the programs and their TV. We put Jesus off to read the magazine rather than his word. We put Jesus off rather than getting the family around to pray at this particular time of need and we put Jesus off in many different ways and there are those who put Jesus off and they're not saved they say I'll clean up my life friend you cannot clean up your life you must come to Christ and he will help you clean up your life first you need your heart cleaned up from your sin and then we have his warrant is in verse 6 his warrant to do this was in verse 6 Pardon me, verse 17, sixthly is his warrant. That it may be fulfilled which was spoken of Isaiah so the prophet, that is Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. In closing this message this morning, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. What a difference Christ makes to a life. What a difference Christ makes to a home, to a family. What a difference Christ makes to a world. What a difference Christ makes to a people. What a difference Christ makes to a nation. What a difference he can make to those who are sick, to those who are ill, to those who are weary, to those who are anxious, to those who are afraid, to those who are suffering. What a difference Christ can make. Put him central before you do what you have to do. Pray. I'm, I'm seeing in, in certain hospitals now the doctors and the nurses are actually taking the praying. I think it's a fantastic thing. Pray before you go. Pray while you're serving in your mind. He'll hear your prayer. Pray, 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 and pray again. Bring Christ in. Read his word. Live in his word. Eat his word. Digest his word. What a difference Christ makes. Great multitudes may come to your aid, friend. 
Great multitudes may come to encourage you. But it's when he came down from the mountain. It's when he came down from the mountain that made the difference. When he comes, things do change. Well, the two and the three are gathered together, he says, in my name. There am I in the midst of them. With God's help and God willing, I may look at that unless God changes this message to somewhat, something else for next Sunday. I may look at that next Lord's Day morning. God willing, God sparing. Pray God will bless you this morning. Pray wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you've listened or watched, I pray that this has been a help to you, a blessing for you, a strength to you. Listen, this word is all your answers. Social distancing, it's in here. Social distancing is in here. And throughout uh, uh, Scripture, leprosy is likened unto sin, and sin was likened unto leprosy. And the Lord's will to look at it next week because we need cleansed of our leprosy in our house or in our hearts and in our homes. We need cleanse of our leprosy in our nation. That is the leprosy of our sin. Social distancing, six feet apart. It's already in here. It was the law for Israel. Social distancing is in the word. Self-isolation. It's been in the word. Word. Keep, keep them outside it was. Keep them in a colony or keep them on their own. And that's why you read of them in caves and so on. Self-isolation. Social distancing. Uh, Stand in for seven days. It's even in the word. Wash your hands. It's in the, in the word. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded, it says in the word. And listen, what else is in the word? It's uh, the cleansing of the hands. Even in the, the Levitical laws as well tells us that we should wash our hands thoroughly with running water. The word of God has it all. He's a way ahead of us and he gave it to us before we were even born. And the word came in flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God and the son of man. And he hung and he bled and he died on Calvary's tree. He shed his blood that we might be redeemed, that we might be saved, that we might be cleansed of our leprosy, cleansed of our sin, that is, that we we might be cleansed. And that we might be his for all time and for eternity. I trust tonight we're going to do another message this evening at 6 o'clock. But the live message will be from my own home, in my own study, from my desk. And I trust you'll, you'll come and you'll join us tonight. We're going, to look at the, the, we're going to look at the Bible. Some people are bringing nice thoughts and that's good. That's encouraging and that's okay. Some people are, are singing and that's good. That's encouraging. That's okay. Singing the gospel and song. And some people are bringing a short message. I'm going to bring a, a study. So bring your notebook and your pen and your Bible. Get it ready at 6 p.m. tonight. And let's get down to the word of God, the Lord willing. God bless you. Let's pray. Eternal Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word has all the answers. Your word has the answers for our, our lives, for our homes, for our nation. Your word has the answers for everything that we need. 
Your word has the answers, Lord, and we pray that your people would start to search the scriptures, whether those things be so. Lord, that they would look at the scriptures and meditate upon the word of God. We pray, O oh God, that you'd help men and women put Christ at the center of all things. That Christ would be first in their lives, first in their hearts, first in their homes. When all of these things even are gone and passed over, Lord, may we always keep your Son at the center of all that we are and all that we have. May he have the preeminence in all things, in ministry, in worship, in song, in praise, in prayer, in preaching. Lord, may he have the preeminence at all times and in all things. So, Father, thank you for everyone that's come on. You know, Lord, where they are. You know their homes. You know their hearts. You know their needs. You know those that are sick, those that are weary, those that are downcast, those that are depressed, those that are disillusioned. Father, we pray that you would meet them at the point of their need, that you'd bless them and encourage them. And, Father, we pray, Lord, you'd have us all to gather again very soon in CET, for we miss our church family. We miss our assembly gathering together. We pray, Lord, until then that you would bless and keep them. In Jesus' name we ask it. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. God bless everyone.